Welcome to Christian Medical and Dental Association's Chapel. We trust this message will encourage your walk with the Lord. So I usually get an email uh, about a week before chapel from Carol saying, oh, by, by the way, you are on tap for this week. And, uh, and although I think it finds its way somewhere in my schedule, it never is really top of mind to that email. So thank you, Carol. But that also reminds me then to like, okay, what does the Lord have for me to say today? And uh, I think what's been of real benefit has been that I've been involved with a Bible study fellowship class. And uh, you know, Misty's in... <laughs> That's right. Woo! Misty's involved. My wife, uh, uh, Bill Griff. Bill Griffin is, I think, does it uh, virtually. Who else? Who? Oh, Janie, you do? Okay. Um, so if you've, maybe you've not, maybe you're not doing it this year, but you've done it in previous years, you, you kind of know what Bible Study Fellowship is all about. It's, it's, it's definitely getting deep into the Word, good discussion, good opportunities to reflect, some good teaching. Um, and this year, I think this is the first year they've ever done this. It's called Divided Kingdom. And what they are touching on is certainly the, 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 the kingdom beyond uh, Solomon when it, it splits, north and south. And some of the challenges, some of the um, issues that derive from that, the, the good and bad kings alike. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great opportunity. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, you know, I really do appreciate the Old Testament in a lot of ways. It is certainly very, very much a narrative, most of it, not all of it, but it's describing, it's what's gone on? What is going on? And, and yet sometimes, you know, we look at it and we think, well, how does this apply to my life? You know, what's descriptive isn't always prescriptive. But what it is evidence of is certainly there's models and examples to, to be seen of people walking and not walking with God, the implications of obedience and disobedience. But really what you get a picture of in the Old Testament is you get a picture of God's covenantal commitment that he is faithful he is with his people, even though the people are often faithless. His covenantal commitment seen initially, uh, well, with the calling out of Abram, uh, Genesis 12, the covenant as it's established, Genesis 15 and beyond. It is a covenant that is often echoed throughout the text of the Old Testament. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is a commitment that... God continues to persevere in. He is faithful. He is long-suffering. And throughout that in the Old Testament, you see, too, the working out of his redemptive plan, that he is bringing this redemptive plan to fruition, even in spite of the faithlessness of his people so often. What you have here, what we're going to look at today, is one of the kings, southern king, king of Judah, the reign of Jehoshaphat. And uh, we're going to look at a couple, of, we're, we're really going to focus on a couple of verses in, in 20 and kind of do a bit of a survey. But if you were to look at the, um, uh, the history, the life, the rule and reign of Jehoshaphat, you, you could gather it from Second Chronicles 17 to 21. But again, we're going to kind of do a 30,000 foot view over some of the details and then focus in on chapter 20. So, I titled this, The Only True Security, and I think it'll become evident of what we're talking about here in the reign of Jehoshaphat. First of all, let's talk about his reign and rule. Now, as I said earlier, there are a lot of uh, different kings, good and bad, and uh, Jehoshaphat is, on, on a whole, although not completely faithful, 
You know, there's, he's got issues, as we all do, and that's the neat thing about the Bible is you see real people living out their faith in real circumstances. But overall, he was considered a good king, and God blessed him, and he made good, faithful decisions. And so you see that there was peace and prosperity in the land because of Jehoshaphat and the decisions he made and the faithful obedience that he had. And uh, just a couple of examples as we press in. If you look in chapter 17, if you were to read that maybe after we meet today, you would see some of these examples. First of all, you would see military reinforcement. He guards the borders. He increases the troops. He fortifies the outposts. So the borders are now secure. There's a sense of peace and assurance there. So he brings that to his rule and reign. Also, he brings spiritual foundations. He is tearing down the high places. And these high places are places of worship, pagan worship. And the Asherah poles, the Canaanite fertility gods, does away with them. Takes these places that have been established and he destroys them. And in effect, to bring the people's hearts to worship the true and only God. And of course, this is an overflow of Jehoshaphat's own worship and his own affection for the Lord, but he is leading his people and creating a place of faithfulness and obedience as a kingdom. So we've got military reinforcement. We've got spiritual foundations, political interactions. Again, some good, some bad, but, but what, what, what's going on is that the nations surrounding Judah have a, have a fear. They, they realize this is not a kingdom. This is not a nation we want to really be messing with. Now he makes also some political alliances with the northern kingdom, uh, Ahab, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. But there is this uh, sense where he has stature among the nations, political interactions through political interactions. And then later in 19, it is uh, judicial foundations. Uh, there's justice. He brings justice to the land. Judges who can act without partiality, uh, you know, with fairness and righteousness. So he brings justice into the land. So when you look at these chapters, you look at this narrative, you see Jehoshaphat's rule and reign. You see one of prosperity, peace, justice, wealth. There's a lot to be thankful for because of God's goodness, because of Jehoshaphat's faithfulness. There's a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot to praise the Lord for. God has certainly blessed Jehoshaphat. God has blessed his people. But it is in that moment of significant blessing that something happens. By the way, before I move on, I don't know if you've caught the Easter egg in here. <laughs> I was trying to pull up a graphic Something I would show like a biblical scene, and, and, and I think you probably think this is probably from The Chosen, and I think it is. But not only is it uh, The Chosen, but there's a guy in the back with a polo and a baseball cap on. So, uh, so he's, he's kind of filling the space there. I guess, uh, I guess he's photobombing. So now trouble has happened. What is that trouble? Well... That's where we're going to pick up in, in uh, chapter 20. It says, after all of this, after everything we've just talked about in these chapters, about peace, prosperity, there's going to be a couple of nations gathering together. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them, the Mennonites, 
came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So although there was this measure of protection and peace, these nations are conspired to gather and pile up and pile on, and they're going to go after Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah. And even with all of the advanced troops and the fortifications and, and everything he's established, this is undoing. This is far beyond the capacity of what they can handle in and of themselves. They are undone. <laughs> They're looking at what is in store for them, and they realize they don't have enough in and of, them, of themselves to deal with what is about to face them. Jehoshaphat notices this early on, and that's where we pick up. Second Chronicles 20. What we're going to see here is a battle fought through prayer. And if you don't know the story, this is wild, what's, what you're going to see in just a minute, because uh, well, I, I, don't think, I can't think of too many other examples uh, throughout Scripture that would even be analogous to this. But what happens initially, and I want to read in verse, picking up in verse 320, are a couple of things. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. <laughs> Rightly so, there was these big nations about to pile on and come right after him. He was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So not only does he seek the Lord, but now he is going to lead his people in prayer and fasting. He's going to take that spiritual leadership mantle. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your land and are, and pardon me, in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. When you realize you're powerless, the first thing you recognize and Jehoshaphat recognized and we need to recognize is we have a powerful God, one who is mighty, who rules and reigns on high, who is seated on the throne, who goes before us, who works in and through us through the work of his mighty Holy Spirit. There is, we have a God who saves. We have a great fortress. Mighty fortress is our God. He is powerful. He is mighty. So Jehoshaphat remembers the very character, the very nature of who God is. Then in verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So there's also this kind of turning to a remembrance. I don't know about you, but this is one of the most helpful things. When, I'm, when you face a trial, when you face something that's difficult, I don't oftentimes in the moment have it in me to keep it all in perspective. I see the issue so large and looming like it's right in front of me. It's like taking that penny you put in front of the eye, that's all you see. And sometimes all I can see is the problem. Maybe that's what you face oftentimes when those problems, even big or small, they look huge and insurmountable. But remembering and maybe, you know, having a little age and experience helps, but I don't think you have to be 41 like myself. No, just kidding. Uh, 56, just turned 56. 56, to have an experience to realize God has been faithful in the past. 
And remembering, of course, that faithfulness can be challenging. Sometimes we've written it down. My wife and I have journaled and put those, almost these Ebenezers, these, these monuments, like often uh, the nation of Israel did when they cr- crossed the Jordan. They stacked those stones as a remembrance, an ability for them to remember God's faithfulness. And, and sometimes we have to find what are those things, those physical things, too, that we can, we can grab hold to that can remind us of God's faithfulness. And going back to that is so, so very important. Because his character doesn't change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's faithful back then, we know he's faithful to us now. We're his child back then. We're his child today. That has not changed. Our emotions, they change. Our circumstances, they change. But our God, he does not change. Verse 8. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Just again, reminding God of his covenantal commitment. They are his people. I will be your God and you will be my people, that covenantal commitment. And then lastly, I'll stop here, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I like that last verse. And that's that's a verse, if I were to have you walk away with something, just let this sink deep into your heart. This verse here, verse 12. Our God... Will you not judge them? Are you not God of justice, righteousness? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Even with all the wealth, all the prosperity, all the security, all the troops, there's a recognition that we are powerless in and of ourselves. Yes, God has entrusted us great resources, abilities, gifts, skills, experiences. But at the end of the day, we all need the Lord. If we simply just attach ourselves to what we think we can do, we are always going to fall short. We need God. We are powerless. Whether it be this vast army or any other circumstance. But then, of course, he goes on. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, when I face a difficulty and, and challenge, there's oftentimes it's easy. Maybe, you know, I can pray and, and, and often do, but then it's easy to walk right into scheming, figuring out, how am I going to fix this? <laughs> you know, so often we just need to surrender. We don't know what to do, honestly. I mean, maybe there's a next step. Maybe there's something we can, you know, press forward in. But at the end of the day, we really don't know what to do. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think that we can have it all figured out. And, and in this case, they certainly were undone. And, and so often there are circumstances before us that we're undone. I'm dealing with some things. 
daughter figuring out her walk with the Lord and, and, and wanting her to, to, to walk faithfully with the Lord. But I'm powerless. I don't really know what to do next, how to help. How do you, how do you parent an adult child? I mean, that's, that's a completely different animal. I don't know what to do. But I do know I can do this. There is one thing I can do. I can put our eyes on Jesus. I can put our eyes on our Lord. And we can set our affections, our heart, our gaze upon him. We can seek after God in the middle of our difficulties, our challenges, and our suffering. Jehoshaphat knew that. He led his people in that. And what was true back then is true for us. And we hear prayer requests all the time, and there are challenges, and they're numerous, and they're always constantly coming at us. It, you know, what do they say? Either you're going into a trial or, or, or suffering, you're either in the middle of it or you're coming out of it. <laughs> but there's is always a difficulty, always a trial, always some challenge before us. We may not know what to do. We have no power to face it, certainly. But our eyes are upon you, O Lord. I like this quote. I've been reading John Perkins a bit. Uh, just had uh, done his pilgrimage down in Jackson. And if you don't know, I uh, go into John Perkins' story. But John is, is a gentleman who was instrumental in, in starting uh, Christian uh, Community Health Fellowship, CCHF. Um, African-American gentleman who, is, who went through significant pain and loss, lost his um, brother uh, in a killing um, when he was in California, his brother was shot, I think, by a police officer. He was arrested, undo, unjustly arrested and tortured. John was. Um, a lot of reasons to uh, hate the whites in his community because in, in, in the South, during Jim Crow, there was a lot of pain, persecution, injustice. But John Perkins has come out of that with a, a deep sense of love and affection for um, in crossing those, those boundaries and barriers and in, in, in inviting for reconciliation because of the love of Christ, because of his love. And that love has replaced his, his propensity or the temptation to hate or to be bitter. He talks about this count it all joy. He says, some people think that God won't put more on you than you can endure. I'm not sure I agree with that. I believe that he does put more on us than we can handle. If I could handle it all on my own, I wouldn't need him. But because the burden is so heavy, it makes me cry out to him. And when I cry out to him, he meets me right there in the place of my pain. And he feels what I feel. He hurts when I hurt. I believe that. God is going to push us into places that we feel like, and rightly so, have no resources for for where God's going to call us to go. It's going to undo us. We're going to be broken over it. I can think of examples of my life where I've gotten to that place. And, and, but to do that, he's doing that so that he can garner in us a greater sense of trust and surrender. And it forces us to cling more tightly to him and the cross. As a result of this prayer, one of the prophets declares that Judah will, will see victory. 
these nations that are about to come upon them will not destroy them, but in fact, Judah and Jehoshaphat as leader, as king, will have victory, which we're going to see in just a minute. But I love it in the BSF notes, it says this, God's presence and power would win two battles, the battle of fear within them and the battle against the enemy. And this kind of goes back to what I said is, you know, God is using often these difficult circumstances, as John Perkins said in his quote, as many of you have experienced, and I have too, to do a work in our own hearts. It's in, the, it's in the suffering and the difficulties and the challenges that have been the most sanctifying moments in my life. I can remember a time when I was in Florida where I had really set my heart and, and focused on some plans that I thought God had been directing. And no doors opened. In fact, doors closed in my face. Opportunities disappeared. And where I thought I was going to go in a direction, all of a sudden I was lost and adrift and thinking, God, what are you, what are you doing here? I had gone, I'd finished my uh, Master's of Divinity. I've done all these things in preparation for this moment, and it looks like nothing is about to happen here. And I'm stuck in Florida with hurricanes going, this was 2004 and 5, with hurricanes going over my house. <laughs> and it was just one of these desperate places in my life where I was like, Lord, what are you doing? Why would you call me this place only to just have me completely shut down, completely idle, completely adrift, completely lost? And I remember in those moments where he was really doing a work in my own life and heart, and I could just sense his word as he was speaking to me saying, listen, I've stripped everything away. If you lose everything, which is, you think you have, you haven't really, but if you were to lose everything, am I not enough? If I'm, if I'm all you have, is that not enough? So you come to these places often in suffering and difficulty Dealing with your own idolatries. I know I have. Idolatries of control, power, security. And God can use suffering, use difficulties to begin to, to mold and make you into the person he wants you to be. One that is surrendered to him, broken before him, trusting in him. Because our trust in him doesn't come in a one and done where we come and trust in him for our salvation. God wants us to continue to to work in our lives so we're becoming more and more made into the image of Jesus. So, and, that can, and that's a process I think you all can acknowledge and have experienced as well. And I continue to. I, I want to just give a shout out to GHO even. I mean, one of the things I can look back at in one of the most sanctifying opportunities is being on GHO mission trips because it, helped, it put me into cross-cultural opportunities where I lost control. I didn't have a lot of control. Things go you know, you zig, things zag. You know, you go sideways a lot of times because things don't often work the way you imagine them. And going on about 20 of these, 25, I don't know, it's been so many I can barely count now, it's like doing reps, constantly putting myself into these situations where watching God work and putting me in a position, a posture of trust and surrender, really, I, I look back at it and say, those, those experiences were one of the significant experiences in my life. And again, you can probably account what those are for you. And God's going to continue to put us in places where we're going to have to trust him and surrender to him. God is doing a work. And he's, like this comment says, two battles. The battle within us and the battle against the enemy. And what's really exciting is not only did the prophet, yes, he, he declared there would be victory. But the way they were victorious, if you look further and how God delivers them. 
uh, I think we're into 20, verse 24. They go into battle. They are called to go in battle. And Misty and I were even just talking about this before. They go into battle praising. Prayer and prayer and praising God and declaring his goodness and his glory. They go into battle rejoicing. And when they get there to the watchtower and they overlook and they're about to face the enemy, what God has done is he actually did the battle for them. Apparently, there's a confusion that happens on the battlefield and all these nations that were aligning against Judah all of a sudden attack each other and they decimate each other. So Judah gets into the watchtower. They're singing praises to the Lord. They look in the battlefield and the battle's already done. They didn't break a sweat. They didn't, they didn't drop, a, drop a blood. It was all done. And not only that, there was so much plunder, it took them three days to take all that plunder out and, and back to Judah because God had not only delivered them, but he had blessed them in addition, in abundance because of their faithfulness. I think, I think they were willing to step into a complete attitude, trust and praise, go into battle to watch the Lord be, his, be their champion. So that's really Really, really encouraging. We stand, and another uh, comment in the notes, it says, we stand ready to see God work when we fasten our gaze on him and his overcoming power. Now, I need, this comment needs to be said. God can be trusted whether or not we experience an outcome we judge as victorious. Yes, this is an example. Remember, when I said earlier, what's descriptive is not often prescriptive. We see a great outcome here. But I think you understand, we all know, the outcomes aren't always the way we desire them. Sometimes we're not going to even see an outcome, maybe, until, until we go with Jesus because the issue isn't just something that easily gets fixed or resolved. It's going to be a perennial, ongoing, lifelong issue. But regardless of the outcome, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. And no matter what we're facing, going back to Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. We do not know what to do. We may be undone and unable to think about how we're going to get ourselves out of that situation, how we're going to resolve it, how we're going to fix it, how we're going to survive it. And that's not us to fix it and figure it out. What we're called to do is just simply keep our eyes on Him. So as you find yourself in those circumstances, just do what we can do, because really we know control is often an illusion. We think we control more than we actually do. We don't, but we can, in, in obedience, just simply fix our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on him. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are God and ruling and reigning and powerful and, and faithful, and we can trust you. You are worthy of our trust and praise. And Father, every situation and new, new circumstance we face may be new to us, but it's not new to you. And you know all the things that we face. You know our fears. You know our concerns. You know our struggles. Thank you, Father, that you call us, though, children of you, that you draw us into a deep abiding walk and you desire a relationship with us and you invite us into that. And so, Father, I pray that we would continue to keep our eyes fixed on you, cling tightly to you and to the cross, and remember the gospel. Remember what, what you accomplished in that moment when you redeemed us and restored right relationship is you are doing a new work every day through your sanctifying work of your spirit in and through us. And we're grateful for that. And we, Father, help us to just continue to stand yielded and trusting in you to receive 
the work that you're continuing to do, that sanctifying work every moment of every day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.